Hi, I'm Monse, and this is Musings of the Artist, a podcast where I have meaningful conversations with all kinds of artists. Musicians, poets, photographers, and other creatives share their honest stories, touching on the duality of being creative, the pure joy of making art, but also the particular struggles that come with it. And honey, there's no way that I'll ever know everything about you but oh how I love what I do and honey I love what I don't know too. Natalie Stovall is a vocalist and multi-instrumentalist from Nashville, Tennessee. She's also an old friend of mine as we met years ago in college. Natalie has been playing on a stage almost her entire life and made her Grand Old Opry debut at the age of 12. She has performed everywhere from the White House to the Oprah Show, and more recently was a contestant on The Voice. Natalie tells us about her time on the show, and you'll hear us talk about being two of the only girls during our time at Berklee College of Music in Boston. This was such a fun conversation that takes us many places. She shares about having been a bit heartbroken by music and finding her way back to a new place with it, on navigating social media as an artist and a person, her most memorable concert experience that still gives her the chills, and how she uses gratitude to turn a bad day around. It was also so nice hearing her love for her best friend, Ruthie Collins' artistry. Natalie radiates joy and warmth, and if you don't already know her, I know you're gonna love getting to know her a bit through this chat. So here is my conversation with Natalie Stovall. All right, we're recording. Yay! So this is so, I'm so excited we get to do this in Nashville. Me too. After we get our popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that is that is now our tradition. I know, totally. We've done it twice, so it means it's tradition. We may have done it more than twice now, right? <laughs> Maybe three times? Anyways, yeah, twice, two or three times. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, okay, so it's funny interviewing you since I've known you for so long. I know. <laughs> I just want to start out by what I always ask. It's a very big question, but... You know, professionally, you are a musician, and you yes. have been, like, forever, yeah. which is so cool. Um, but, you know, how do you begin to describe yourself in addition to music? Just who you are as a person, like, how you walk through the world. Oh, wow. That's, um, it's hard not to identify myself as a musician. I mean, because that has dominated the majority of my life and my path. You know, it's directed me in so many ways. But I do think that one of the reasons that I love being on the road so much and being in music is because I just genuinely love people. I love meeting people. I love hearing other people's stories. I love getting to see how diverse literally everyone is around the world. But then at the same time how similar we all are and that's part of this journey as an artist as I get to you know just kind of I mean I never know where I'm going to be I never know where I'm going to end up on any given day or what my day is going to look like it can look on paper like it's going to be the exact same as yesterday and it will be completely different you know from the show and the people I meet and the way that I get to interact with people and um but I mean I just I'm I'm in a really good place right now where I'm very present in my own life, and I feel like I maybe haven't been for a while, but um, it's just, it's a lovely gift to truly enjoy each moment, Yeah, you know? 
Totally. And you know, one thing, because so for the listener, Natalie and I both went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. That's how we met years and years ago. Which is, it's kind of crazy that it's years and years ago now. It is. I know. I <laughs> like still what? feel like, no, I'm a college kid. <laughs> right, right. right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it is nuts. And we were just talking about how it's Natalie and I were like two of the only girls at Berkeley. <laughs> it felt like that at it least. It really is wild the the ratio of yeah. guys to girls when we went. I think it has gotten a little bit better. I feel like I heard yeah. a statistic recently and it was it was a little better. But I mean I was on my floor of dorms had fifty rooms and yeah. two of the rooms were female. Right. No, no, no. And totally. Everything else was dudes. And I so, know. It was crazy. <laughs> so we, and, that was one of the reasons we were just talking, like, how did, I don't even remember how we initially met, if it was through a class or whatever, but all right. the girls at Berkeley, we all knew together. each other. Exactly. <laughs> we all we knew had each other. To. And all the guys knew us, too. It was funny because, like, after Berkeley, I can't tell you how many times, I've, like, a guy has come up to me like, Monty! And I have no idea who he is, but but poor thing, like because he we right. went to Berkeley together, and he's like, oh, we went to Berkeley together, and he knows me because I was right, a girl. right, you know, I you am were a girl. one of I, the only girls, exactly, the only female, exactly. And I'm like, oh, this poor guy, I'm like know. he just was a sea. Sorry, of, that's why we were talking about. You're married to a, a guy, a musician, yes, who um who went to Berkeley, who went to Berkeley, and I was like, I told myself during Berkeley, like I'm not going to date musicians, <laughs> like no, no way, and then as like basically pretty much I've only dated musicians. I, it's almost. funny. I didn't ever have that. I feel like a lot of my friends have that kind of where they, they made a declarative statement. Like I'm not going to date musicians. Right. But I never really had that. I just honestly didn't think I would be in a relationship or getting married until about this point in my life. Yeah. Cause I knew what I wanted to do and I knew how focused I had to be in order to achieve making a living as a musician, as an artist and doing this full time and how much travel is involved and all the things. So I just, I wasn't even, my headspace wasn't even looking for the relationship. Like I feel like a lot of my, since I'm a Southern girl, I grew up here right outside of Nashville. A lot of my girlfriends, I feel like one of their intentions with going to college was to meet their husband. And that couldn't have been further from my mind. I know. Like that was not, I was like, (laughs) no, 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 I want to go have adventures. Like I'm not ready to settle down yet. Isn't but, that funny? Yeah. And that just happened. And then that's when it happens yeah. is when you're least expecting it. Totally. And it's funny. I didn't even think, like, I don't know why I had this in my head that I didn't want to date musicians at the time. I think it's because it was, like, all, I was only around musicians. Sure. So something about that, maybe? Sure. I don't know. But yeah. that, that that went out the door pretty quickly. I was like, all right, I actually like musicians. Yeah. It turns out that that is <laughs> one of the personality traits exactly, that is very exactly attractive what I like. to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so um, one thing I've always, I've never really asked you this, I'm curious about, is that um, you have been a performer, I mean, almost your whole life. Yeah. So way before Berkeley. Yeah. And I remember when we were at Berkeley together, and whenever I saw you perform, it just felt so natural, or it seemed oh, from the audience you. that you were, yeah, no, it's true. It's, it just seems like it just comes like so fluidly to you. And is that... Is that truly the case? Like, do you, does it feel like second nature to you or do you ever have moments where you get nervous? As a performer? No, that's, that is my second nature. Yeah. That is, I mean, it's, it's because I started very young yeah. and I always had this attraction to the stage, even from the time I started playing violin when I was, you know, I started the lessons and when I was three really started performing when I was four and one of the things that attracted me to playing an instrument was that I got to stand on stage and people would watch me. 
like as a kid, that was part of my whole like I've just always been a ham. <laughs> like spotlight, yes. Um, and I, I and weren't started... you on Oprah? Sorry, to interrupt you. Weren't you on Oprah? For I was. Something? I was when I was. I, well, I. That's a, kind of a weird story, but I won the silliest kid in America. That's right. Contest. That's what I was thinking. It wasn't <laughs> singing. It was something else. No, yeah. it wasn't singing. But they asked me when they wanted me to come do the little ventriloquist thing that I did to win the silliest kid in America contest. They asked me if I had any other funny or hidden talents and I was like well I'm a fiddle player and I mean I can play funny animal noises on the fiddle and I can also play it between my knees and they were like okay make a tape for us of all those things so I sent in a recording of me playing you are my sunshine like holding the bow between my knees and then (laughs) flipping the fiddle upside down and playing it and so I did that and then did the ventriloquist thing on Oprah totally random okay and I'm sorry to interrupt you no no, 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 I forgot it is funny though but that's but I mean I you know I I got to perform I got a job professionally when I was 10 and that was in the Opryland Kids Club show and it was a show at the Opryland theme park out here in Nashville and I worked as a performer solid for four straight years and even while I was doing the kids club show and the country Christmas show and was one of the kid performers in town I ended up getting jobs on the road and going and opening for older established country acts and stuff and they'd take me I mean I think I had my my 12th birthday on the road in a van with a bunch of old crusty musicians. Like, I mean, that was just, that was the life that I always wanted. And I've, I've sought out the ability to be on stage pretty much my entire life. Um, I mean, of course, yes, I do get nervous and in really big moments I do get nervous, but sometimes that's more about like, is my voice going to work or, you know, like there's other, there's other factors, but the majority of the time, even nerves are not really nerves. It's just pent up excitement and yes. energy. Because yes. as soon as I get out on the stage, I'm at home. Mm. It's the waiting. It's the anticipation of it, you know. And it's just, it's it surprises me sometimes, the moments that do throw me now. Because I feel like I've I've done enough different things. I mean, getting to perform at the White House for the president, that was the most crazy ball of nerves thing ever in my life, but I got through it and it was incredible. And, you know, I've, I've gotten through a bunch of really crazy big moments. And what about the voice too? Cause you were on the voice. Was yeah. that like, that's a different s- s- scenario. It like, is. How did that feel? That one threw me harder than I ever expected. And maybe was the hardest thing I've ever done wow. as far as imagine. a performer. Yeah. And some it's of suddenly that, a competition too. Yes, not... it pits you against other people, and also, it's just such a an odd way to look at music. I mean, I was sequestered for an entire month, had to cancel all my gigs on the road um, for the summer because I mean you've got to think months in advance. So I had to cancel gigs months out, but they have you sequestered for a month before your blind audition. So before you know if you're going to be on the show or not, you've already given up a sum of worth of work, which is, I mean, I knew what I was getting into and I knew the benefits that could come from it yeah. would, would be worth it. But for that entire month, all you do is work on your audition piece, which is 90 seconds of music. Okay. Hold on a second. Like talk about just the way that that, that just racks your brain yeah. as far as like, you pick apart every tiny nuance of 90 seconds of music and 
critique it and sing it in front of your vocal coach and in front of the band and then do it this way. And then, you know, and even right before I went out on stage, she was giving me instructions and I loved my vocal coach. She was unbelievable. That was my favorite part was getting back into the technique of singing again. Because I I love being reminded of, of the technical side of the voice and how to brush up on it. But I mean, I just, that is such an odd, I mean, talk about taking the whole point of music out of music. Yeah in order to do a show like that. And it ended up going great, but I have not been that nervous for something. And I I don't remember the last time. I mean, I was more nervous in that audition performance than I think I've ever been for anything. That makes sense, especially with all that. Yeah. All the pressure on it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And knowing that like I've, I've given up um, <clears throat> gigs for my guys in the band and, and things that, you know, I mean, I've stayed solidly on the road for 10 years and played over 200 shows a year for most of that. And so it was it was a larger decision than just like, you know, I'm going to go be famous. Like, right. there were a lot of, of people on the show that that's still their mentality. And it's right. like, well, I mean, it is an incredible tool. It's an incredible way to market yourself and platform to get you know, visibility out there. But I mean, truly it's like, can you name that many winners from right. the voice? They right. do two seasons a year. Right. It's more you know? the show itself is the yes. entertainment rather than what comes from it. And right? even doing it, you know, you know, I knew this going in, but it is pretty amazing to see that. I mean, it's, it's primarily a show about the coaches. Like right. they're the stars right. of the show right. and the competitors, we're a big piece of it. And you know, they wouldn't have a show without us, but you know, I, I did, I'm very glad I did it. I'm also very glad that I'm off the show. Yeah. It was hard for me to even just, I mean, I've been my own boss and, and built up my own business. It was an odd thing to go into a world where they tell me how to wear my hair and wow. they tell me what to wear and yeah. they tell me how to sing what song and whether I can play fiddle or not. And, you know, all these pieces where it's like, oh my gosh, no, it you don't make that decision for me. Yeah. This is creative. It's music. We're supposed to... Be inspired by it and love every second of it, not turn it into just this laundry list of critiques and, and I, I don't know, it's, it, it kind of takes some of the joy and fun away from music, which was kind of a good thing to be reminded of, honestly. I mean, that sure. was one of the beauties that came out of it was like, no, okay, cool. I don't like thinking of music as a competition. Yeah. Because it's genuinely not. Yeah. There's room for all of us here. That's but, right. you know, you, if you're truly genuine and authentic to who you are and able to be in the moment and allow things to happen and spontaneous. And there's no spontaneity on a show like The Voice. Absolutely. You bring up some good points there. And I, all of that is, is just really, yeah, that makes so much sense to me. I was going to ask you just to wrap up The Voice and we'll move on, but did did it feel, maybe it felt odd in a way because you already are an established artist. You know, and, like, are most of the people on that show, like, not? There's kind of everything across Mm. the board. I mean, my my, um, roommate for much of my time on the show, you know, there's all these different phases. But my roommate, Keisha Renee, she's been out as Nicki Minaj's background singer for years and JoJo's background singer and has her own career. And, I mean, there's, there's kind of a little bit of everything. But the majority of the people on the show are fairly new, you know, they were discovered because they have either a YouTube channel or, or kind of a hometown following. And I did meet a little bit of resistance. There was a weirdness with some of the other, 
competitors on the show that were like, <laughs> I actually got asked many times in not the nicest of ways. So like, why are you here? Cause you have a blue check mark. And it was one of those things where it was like, well, do, oh, on do Instagram. you know, right like, on, <laughs> on Instagram right. and it's like, well, okay. <clears throat> first of all, thank you that you think that that's cool. But do you know who I am? I mean, Obviously, I'm not anywhere close to where I want to be. I'm an ambitious person. I'm very driven. I'm hardworking. I, I have much larger dreams than a blue check mark. Yeah. Like that's cool, but and no, I want also. I want to sell out shows for the rest of my life. I yeah. want to be able to be a musician on the road for my entire life. So, I want to be able to do the things that allow me to make that happen. Yeah. You know, and so that was just an interesting piece of the puzzle that I didn't see coming. Yeah. You know, and, and everybody was, for the most part, extremely lovely yeah. and wonderful. But it was a little bit of a weird kind of push and pull where yeah. it was like, no, but that doesn't, that shows me that, that you really don't understand that yeah, how much work is involved. That's right. It's how, not just like one or the other. Like, right. You know, like, oh, you're either a completely starting off developing artist and or super famous. There's right. all this in between. There's so much in between. And most artists are in between. Right. 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 That, are, that are doing it for a living. Even, even the ones that are extremely successful, Absolutely. which I consider myself. Yes. I mean, I'm so fortunate that this is what I do for a living. Yeah. I do make my living on the road and, and creating music, but you know, I, I have a, a long way to go. You know, I want to, fly over the crowd playing the fiddle. Yeah, like, yeah. I want to do that. And it's always, it's good to have that too, that vision of where to go. Like where you're not just sort of like, oh, okay, I'm stuck. I'm just doing this. Sure. Like you have something that you, you aspire to. Right. You know? And it is, it's human nature. You're to, to be, um, it's important to be happy where you are, but yes. it's also human nature to want to continue to grow that and, totally. and spread that. And, you know, part of my existence is that I have been, I've been given a lot of gifts that I was fortunate enough to discover at an early age. Yeah. And I would love to share those as much as I can develop those myself. That's going to, to add more to this world and this life, you know, and sure. that, that starts with me and starts with my own creative searching and writing and artistic endeavors. But I want to be able to share that Absolutely. with as many people as will Absolutely. listen. And also just like, you know, I mean, part of, for me, being alive is just growing and yes. whether, whatever direction yes. that is, you know, and just it's like evolving, evolving. Yeah. So of course, like you want to get to, you know, whether it's, either, that means more audience members or sure. if it means like you're doing something a little bit more unique or different than what you were already doing, you know, sure. like in all the different ways of growing, Sure, you know, but Absolutely. that makes total sense. And it's interesting because you bring up a point when you're talking about these people, the blue ask pointing out the blue check marks. It's mm -hmm. like that solidifying sort of like, Oh, you were in a competition here, right. you know? And, right. um, and we were talking about earlier the park about, um, the fact that, you know, you have a number of really wonderful female friends here who are yes. also musicians. And one thing I love about <clears throat> Nashville, whenever I come here and I've come here a lot in the past for work when I've, in, you know, interviewed yeah, artists yeah. and, um, I've noticed that it's such a unique thing where the women here really support each other and lift each other up. And I, I mean, it's not just like for show, it's yeah. for real, yeah. you know, like you guys really are, have each other's backs and yeah. you know, you like put like, um, um, lifting somebody else up does not take away from your own career. No, you know what I mean? And it like, doesn't. and it, it's easy to 
feel that way or get lost in a comparison game, which we all know is a dangerous place to live in, is a comparison, whether it's in your career or personal or anything. But it is a genuine and very authentic piece of the puzzle here in Nashville. And some of that was comes from leadership down. Mm. It's like there's, um, there's a woman named Leslie Fram who is the head of CMT here, and she started an artist program called the CMT Next Women of Country. And her entire mission has been to bring us together. And she kind of, she when she moved to town, she was just, she talks about how shocked she was at the lack of women on country radio. And yeah. that's a big conversation that everybody's sick of talking about, but it has been going on for a very long time, for years and years. And Still, it's like we we look up and in the top 40, there's two women on country radio. And that's just, it's a weird thing. It's not, you know, and there's all these strange myths about it. But, you know, so some of that was, that's the beautiful side to something that has happened that's not fun is that there's a lack of women. But then we all realize that, man, we got to stick together, you know, because we do. It's not because anybody is less talented or not making as incredible of music there's just it's just something's going on but you know I also for me personally I've gotten to a place where I can't really worry about that or focus on that at all I just have to make the best music I can yeah and also when I see one of my girlfriends winning it's awesome it's it's a win for me because then it helps open up a new door for all of us absolutely and the thing is like I don't I genuinely don't feel like I'm in a competition with the other girls in this town because I see how different we all are. Totally. Everyone has their own space and their own lane and has something different to say. And no one else has the same experiences that I've had. That's right. And so I have a whole different place to draw from. And even my entire, you know... (laughs) I've taken such an odd route of, in Nashville because the more typical path is to get to town and get in the writer's room and and then you get your deal from a song or from all the writers knowing you and then you put the band together and go on the road and do it that way. And I kind of went around the opposite way and put a band together and got on the road forever and then got discovered because of my live show. Yeah. And I was always writing and stuff in town at the same time, but that's how it started for me and that's just because that's my biggest passion yeah. is just playing live yeah. music as much as possible. And so that was my path and that's not the path for everybody. Sure. But you know, I, it's like, it's just, it's so wild. It's like my best friend, Ruthie Collins, she is just still, I mean, she is one of the most incredible writers in this town and talk about one of the most incredible untapped resources when when she blows up and gets huge, people are going to cut this whole catalog of songs that she's been sitting here writing in this uh-huh. beautiful Airstream that we're recording in right now forever. I mean, it's just, but I see that in so many of my friends. I see the music that they're making and how incredible it is. And I can't wait for more people yes. to hear it. And I think when you're really solid in your own thing, you don't feel threatened by that. Right. You know what I mean? And it's right. like, it's, I don't know I've, why I have, I feel like I've had that gift. Like, I don't feel that competition with people, whatever I am doing. I'm just like, 
I'm okay with who I am. So I don't need to be worried. I'm, in fact, I celebrate just like you do and you all do with each other. Right. You know what? I, right. I, I love I love seeing on Instagram, you know, obviously I follow you and I follow a couple other um, Nashville gal friends here, yeah. you know? And yeah. I just, it warms my heart when I see you all posting about each other. And, yeah. and you know, you have someone has a new album out and you just gush about it. And it's just such a genuine, like, lifting up of, of their thing, you know? Yeah. Like, and tr- wanting the world to see it. Yeah. It's not well, like... I'm truly a fan. Well, right. I mean, I I have so many unbelievably talented friends, and I I love the music that they're making and the the mission <clears throat> that they have to put into the world, and yes. I, I want other people to see it and hear and it. And I think everyone needs to remember there's room for everybody, yeah. you know, and I think that's yeah. what gets lost in a lot of people. Like, well, we all, yeah, and you're right about, that really starts with your own security. Yeah. It's like if you're, if you're in a dark place, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the comparison game. And especially in the age of social media that we have, you know, we're not comparing ourselves to the small tribe of people, you know, that we have around us, like we have instinctually for years. We're comparing ourselves to the entire world. Right. You can get on Instagram and look at the best and the prettiest and the most talented and, and try to put yourself up next to that. But it's, you can even go down that road and then all of a sudden remember, no, 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 doesn't have to do with anybody but me. That's right. I have something to say and I need to work on bettering myself. Yes. First and foremost and finding my own joy. And then that's how I will be able to succeed. And it literally has nothing to do with what anyone else is doing. And it doesn't even matter if someone else is doing something so similar to you. It's not you. Right. We all are a unique person, you know? And so that's like, I don't know, but it, of course I'm saying I'm preaching this, but it doesn't mean it's not hard to compare yourself. Of when course you're, not. I mean, that, like you said on social media, it's yeah. like super. Like there's, yeah. I Very mean, thankful tough. that I didn't have social media in middle school. Seriously, <laughs> I think about that all the time when I, feel I see so these kids. Bad for my nieces and nephews, I'm like, God, oh, it'd be terrible. Oh, it'd be terrible. Measure yeah. their life and likes. Oh my gosh! Oh. And who's invited to the party or yeah. not? You see, that it was all. hard you enough when I mean? you didn't have phones to compare it Seriously. to the next day. But and imagine yeah. like. Like having crushes and dating with that, like when you're younger, I can't. Yeah. I can't imagine I it. Can't. <laughs> it was bad enough word of mouth. Exactly. Like, did you hear how he asked me to dance? Right. Oh my gosh! But now you can oh. you can show people the text message conversation, yeah. and it's mortifying. I mean, I but know. Yeah, well, there's a well, lot of great advantages to social media, but it is it is. Uh, I'm I'm just thankful that I didn't have to deal with totally. that. Totally, you know. An adolescent. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, as um, um, an artist, you know, with social media, how is it? One thing I'm, I'm always curious about with artists is, you know, it's so different now than 10 years ago with their fans. Because back then, it was like the fans and you. Like, you have a separation. But now, yeah. your fans can reach you, like, on your comments or DMs and all that. And, I mean, I can imagine it's both great and horrible at the same time, right? Right. So, like, well, I do I do genuinely enjoy that aspect. Right. The connection that I get to have with fans and people that come to the shows and enjoy the shows, it's like, that, to me, is the biggest gift of social media. Yeah. The downside to me is the need for content. That is the exhausting part to me as an Mm. artist where it's drilled into us from literally every aspect of our teams and our, um, just our business is that, you know, content, content, content. And if you're not posting every single day and you're not 
doing a cover of some song. And it's like, I mean, that's, that is a wonderful addition right, to what we do. But if I'm not creatively fulfilling myself and I'm, I'm focused more on posting on Instagram or Facebook or something, and I'm not, I'm not spending the time that I need on, you know, my art or even just myself on self-love. Like if I'm not taking care of me first, then I'm actually not doing my job as an artist and that's the first and foremost. So it gets, it can get a little convoluted. Like I, I will think about, you know, the artists that didn't have to deal with social media and what a luxury that might've been. But I do think there are more advantages. And for me, that's just been coming to a more healthy place for it myself and not listening to all the noise around me. Like you have to do this and you have to do, and you need to do this. And and it's like, no, 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 Yeah, I can do that. And if it makes me happy, then I'll do it. But I've been in a bit of a transition phase lately, just between my band, you know, I'd had the same band for about 10 years and a lot of the same members. And then it's just been a little bit of a transition phase and for a while, I was I was really shaming myself for not posting every day. And mm. but I also, it's really important to me to social media for me is a way that I can bring people on my journey. Yeah. And yeah, I'm kind of bummed that I wasn't able to post all the time when I was literally out every day touring because it just wasn't it wasn't used in the same way as it is now. I mean, every year it gets more and more like how much we document our lives. Yeah. I wish I had had Instagram stories when I was, you know, literally playing out on the road 300 days out of the year. Like we have so many ridiculous stories we could have <laughs> shared, but I I will get to do that again. Yeah. And I get to do that now. And when I am home, I'm okay with having my own personal time, yeah. and I get to choose what I share. Totally. It's and like it it's, should be authentic, right? It, it should is. be like what you feel like sharing, not feeling like it's a job to do it. Right, know? and and that is, that's a good point. It's like, I don't, I don't want that side to feel like a job. I want people to be on my journey with me, and if I want to have a day on the couch in my pajamas and no makeup, and yeah. I don't want anybody to see my face, yeah. not only do I know God, not I don't go out in public, but I don't post my picture right. on Instagram. Right. Sometimes I do intentionally because it's like, hey, look, I'm not all made up. For well, a that's show important at too. Times, not necessarily but, not that you have to post it, but I think it's important for people to remember that just because they don't see that photo of you without makeup on on the couch doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. You know, right. it's not like you're living a glamorous life 24 seven. Right. You know, right. and I think that that also, and that is, it's just, and it's, it's a different recipe for literally everyone. Yeah. People yeah. have, you know, and I do genuinely enjoy most of social media, Yeah. but I don't, I, I have gotten to a really healthy place with it where I don't feel like I have to be on it constantly. Yeah. And sometimes for my mm-hmm. own mental health, I intentionally don't go on yes. it. Because and of it feels whatever great reason. So to yeah. take a little break. Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah. And and there are parts of my life that I do keep private. And I think I do that instinctually because I'm pretty much an open book. Yeah. And I love talking to people after yeah. shows and hugging and loving on everybody. And I'm, I'm so happy that people want to come listen to me. I genuinely am. And I can't wait to hug them afterwards Aww. and talk to them. Yeah. And because I'm so open about most of my life, there are just a select few things that 
I choose either not to talk about myself or the the people around me are not necessarily as public as sure. I am. You want to protect and I'm them. protective of yes. that for yes. them. Yes. Yes. And you know, and and that's actually been a lovely um, kind of just barrier for me just having people in my life in my family that are not public people and they don't want their life shared and that's cool yeah I actually really respect that and it reminds me to have healthy boundaries right. for myself right you know and I'm so, living that too right now you know yeah like that kind of thing where I think it's we like, all do whether yeah. you're a public figure or not sure that's, exactly it's, it's important totally you know? totally yeah, and, like how and, much to share and, and just yeah it's what you're comfortable with yeah. you know and that's the key yeah. thing no matter there shouldn't be these shoulds, you should or shouldn't do things. It should be absolutely only what is right for you. Because I really, I have quite mm. a few friends, really close friends that yeah. are extremely public about yeah. everything, everything yeah. in their life and, and all times of day. And I, I admire that so much. Yeah. Like I really, cause they're being themselves and yes, what they want to do. It's, they're sharing every aspect yeah. of their life. And I think that that is so, so, so cool. Totally. And you know, if I, if, if that side of social media had been around when I was a teenager and, you know, when I was on the road when I was 12, I probably would be a lot more public about yeah. literally every part of my life. Yeah. But because so much of my life I got to keep private for a mm. while, it just, you know, for me, that's what works right now. Yeah. I don't know if that'll be the case yeah. forever. I might get more private. I might get more public. I don't know. And whatever way you go, it's okay. <laughs> right. That's the thing, you know? Right. And it's, I think it's more about, like, how it makes you feel. Because, yeah. like, I think when I, one thing I've learned is, like, the when I'm super vulnerable and open and it's, um, I don't know, it's not, like, what's the word? Like, when I'm giving that to somebody who then sort of betrays or hurts me. Right. It's, it's incredibly painful. Yeah. So I think that's where I've learned to be a little bit more reserved yeah. about what I do share and don't share. Yeah. You know? Yeah. About the piece, all the pieces of me in my life. And, yeah. Um, but I feel like if some people, they don't, that, that kind of, you know, if someone's going to uh, make a comment about how they're living their life and it just they don't it goes right off their shoulders like who they don't care like then go for it and right then, you know what I mean right so it's I really know. about what you are comfortable with and we're like what you mentioned about kind of having boundaries for other people you right. know respecting that too it's like yeah yeah I just think there's no right or wrong it's there, whatever you know there really isn't and it is it is a beautiful gift I mean social media truly is a gift and I love it I also just like literally every other aspect of my life, I have certain boundaries right, with it, right, you know, right. so. So who, I'm so curious about, I know you were talking about Ruthie, um, and how my much girl. you love her, her music, which I just, I love seeing that. Oh, she know? has recorded the most stunning album. Oh. I'm such a fangirl. Like, I, oh, I can't I wait for the that. world to That's hear how it. I feel about my best bud, too, Heather Malone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't wait for everyone to hear her album. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's just, it moves me. I'm like the biggest fan of my friend. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. just because she's my friend. It's, I know. It's fan. I would be a huge fan of her music anyway. So I love seeing that in you and yeah. Ruthie too. It's so sweet and beautiful. Um, and yeah, back to sort of like the female friendships and the um, here and supporting each other. Who is somebody, it doesn't have to be a female musician, but who's somebody that comes to mind when I ask you, like whose creativity really moves you? Oh. Wow. Well, I mean, Ruthie is actually, I mean, she is plugged in right now. And that girl, she can just sit down and just, a song just flows through her. Mm. Genuinely. I mean, it's, it has been the most beautiful 
artistry to witness and be this close to. And she and I have both been very um, nurturing with each other with, you know, we've both started meditating a lot more and doing a lot of just soul searching and self-love and, you know, all the things, listening to Oprah's soul sessions. Oh, yes, Um, I love that. (laughs) Love it so much. So good. Eckhart Tolle and all the things. It's like we're, you know, we've both been helping each other with that journey and that process and just taking care of ourselves. And so, but I mean, I, I, I look at, at what she's able to achieve artistically and I have so much admiration and respect for it. You know, someone who's a little further removed from me, um, but that I do have a friendship with, but Maren Morris is one that Mm -hmm. I just, I, you know, I know her. And so I, I do just adore her, but way beyond that I wouldn't have to know a thing about her and I am such a fan of her music and the same thing goes for Miranda Lambert she's one of those people that as an artist she never lets me down you know she always seems so genuine and authentic with her work and her art and um and I we were talking about this earlier but I've discovered Maggie Rogers yes she's an artist that I have never met and just I saw her SNL performance and was like who is this girl and I, it's like an obsession. I mean, I have to listen to that album every day or I feel like I haven't had my coffee yet. You know, like I it's just, yeah. it is, a, there's something so moving and odd and cool and unique and also familiar about it. It's just, it's beautiful. And as I'm working on, you know, kind of finding some of those places and finding new places of of creativity kind of tapping into new parts of of my own creativity and writing and and music it's been really fun to just genuinely be excited about music again yeah because I you know I haven't necessarily even known this but I've been a little heartbroken by music and my own musical journey for the last little bit and so it made it hard to get excited about music. It was, it was all wrapped up in, in just a, a giant ball of emotion from, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a depressive person, but I've gone through a lot with all of that lately. And so I kind of stopped listening to music for mm. a while. And that's a weird thing when you're an artist and you're constantly talking about it and performing it and still kind of creating it and doing all the things. And you never want to, when when somebody asks you what's going on, it's like I have been working and I have been creating music, but it hadn't been with the same passion yeah. that had been lost a little bit just in the heartbreak of losing musical family members that I've built over the years. And that's not anyone's fault. And it's just the way that it goes. It's part of my journey. And it's actually been a really beautiful part of my journey because it's gotten me to a a new perspective and a new healthy place, but it's taken a minute, you know? And so all of that to say that I've gotten back to a place where I'm, I'm obsessively starting to listen to music again and getting really, really excited about it. That's so great to hear. And I mean, even it's like, you know, Taylor Swift is posting all of her little, her kind of, uh, ambiguous, like, Oh, something's coming Uh on April 26th. And she's another one that it's like, I've always really admired her. I didn't get into her first few albums because they were, they were not for me. They were for a younger audience. But then as she's come into her own, her last couple of albums have just been 
I mean, they've been my jam. And she's another one that, like, that girl can just channel it. She can plug in and just do, she's just such a voice of our generation, you know. And and I I can't wait to hear the new record. I haven't even finished wearing out the last one, you know. Yeah, I think, and I think it's interesting what you were saying about how you sort of, um, when you were sort of going through a painful time with music, you step, you almost didn't look at it because yeah. you, it, would hurt, it would probably hurt. You yeah. Know? But yeah. in a way, it's what's beautiful to see is that you're now sort of doing the opposite of that. I think yeah. what's good to remind ourselves is that in kind of looking towards what you want or like you see people that are doing where you are, are where you want to be. It's like, that's an expander for you, you know? Uh, absolutely. To be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. keep going. Well, and I was, I've, I've been out on the road this whole week with Jamie Johnson and He's a guy, I mean, I I can't even tell you how transformative of an experience it was this week. I needed this week for my heart so much, and I didn't even know it. But I don't know if I've ever really done a full run of purely acoustic stripped-down things, because for so long I had the full band thing, and it was important for all of us that everybody was a part of it and got to work, and so it was harder for me to take some of the smaller, you know, the stripped-down gigs um, but being out on the road with Jamie, I mean, you know, I knew going into it what a musician he was, I thought. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that man. I mean, I haven't been around someone who has this approach to music in a long, long time. So he has no set list. He plays for two solid hours. He starts every song without telling the band. He starts playing and singing, and the band intently st- sits wow. there and stares at him and listens to him to not only figure out what song, but what key he's going to do that song that night. I mean, that it was, it was so inspired and genuine every night. I mean, he'd just play whatever he felt like playing next, and that's one of the reasons he has such dedicated fans because you're never going to get the same show twice, and it's it's always going to be. When you go to that show, you're going to be on that journey with him. Keeps you on your toes, too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the first night, you know, we get there, and his band leader was like, hey, so Jamie wants to do a song with you. Do you know this this Merle Haggard song? He, he sang it as a guest on the Waltons. Do you remember that show? And I was like, well, I I know the Waltons, and I, I think I've heard that song, but I wasn't even sure. And so I went and listened to it, and, you know, it was like an hour before showtime, and I was a little nervous because I'm going to go out and sing this song that I don't really know with Jamie and I don't even know how we're going to do it. We didn't talk about it ahead of time. And there were a few keys mentioned to me that sometimes he does them in. And so that's fine vocally, but like as a fiddle player, I'm like, oh gosh, okay, so be ready to play it in this key. And then can you play the melody in this key? I don't know. That's got to be a little nervous. (laughs) It is. (laughs) But it was just... Oh, it filled my soul. I mean, and every night, and we we did this, you know, Nobody's Darling But Mine, which was this beautiful song that I feel like I got a musical education, because how did I not know this song before? And, but I mean, just watching his show, I haven't been around anybody who is not beholden to their click track and their, their, you know, extra instrument tracks or loops or whatever. You know, we don't even, in my show, we don't play every song to tracks, but we do have a few for some of the songs, but that's, 
I mean, it's it's wild to me that that's a unique experience now of just right. genuinely playing music and there's no tempos, there's no set list. Like, yeah. that's how it used to be done every yeah. night. And now that's this unique experience. It almost takes, it makes it just, like, stripping it all down to just, like, the fun of it, right? Yeah. And not yeah. making it such a, like, put, putting so much pressure on it to be perfect. Right. You know? Right. Because you do leave yourself open to it not being perfect. Yeah. And lots of mistakes being made, but you also leave yourself open to so much more greatness. Yeah. Because yeah. if you do the same thing every single night, then you're not necessarily leaving room for the spontaneity that could happen and the inspired moments that come from that. Now, I am more of a, you know, I like to be rehearsed. I like to plan. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not type A, but in my shows, I like to have a game plan. Um, but it was really healthy and inspiring to see that because that's just not a world that I'm ever, I ever get to be around. And it reminded me of that. And it's like, there's so many elements of that, that I, I have been saying, I want to bring into my own show and I got to see it in real time. And as I'm working on a new set and kind of creating this whole new vibe for my own life experience, I'm excited to bring some of those elements in and not feel like it all has to be the same thing. Cause yes. we get, we do get caught up in perfection. I yep. think that's, that's really what it is. You know, do you think that's especially prevalent in country music? Um, I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know, which is odd. Yeah. It's odd because country music was born and you know, the, <laughs> I mean, you hear these stories of George Jones being so drunk, he fell off the stage. And, you know, that was before anybody was able to post about it on social media. It's like, you can't get away with that stuff anymore. Uh But, um, but the, the authenticity of, of someone like Jamie is, is really where it all started. I mean, the Grand Ole Opry was live every night on the radio and you never knew what was going to happen. And, I love that element, and it's why I love watching SNL every week, because it's not always the most hilarious, yeah. but you're always in in it with them. Yeah, sure. You exactly, know, and yeah. I want people to feel that way at my yeah. shows, and so it was really a cool experience to see someone doing that, and he is just also fearless, I mean, yeah. and he's, he's such an incredible musician. It's like they have a book of like 800 songs that they can thumb through if they need the band can, if they need the chart and the band is huge. I mean, he's got a horn section and steel player, a couple guitars, keys, background singers, but you know, he just, but he's got it all in his head and he can play every single song perfectly and it'll go into soloing and jams and God, what a musician. I mean, it was just, you know, you know, and we do, we get, and even for myself, I've been on those tours where it's like, you look around and everybody's got, 15 guitars in the tracks as well as the guitar players on stage. And, you know, it's just, it's so big and massive. And it's like, yeah. that's cool. But it's also cool to just get up there and sing. Yeah, totally. Play, totally. You know, so I'm probably somewhere in the middle. And, yeah. And just like with social media, I don't, I don't believe that there's a, a right or wrong or a good or bad. But it is just wild how I do think that sometimes we can get caught up in the perfection yes, aspect. Yes, But you look at someone like Bruce Springsteen, that's why he has this audience for the rest of his life because you never know what's going to happen on stage. Yeah. It's always different. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Well, you, and so in addition to that, you know, that's an incredible story and, and, um, thing to hear about, but do you have another favorite or like really memorable concert experience? Cause you've played with so many people. Um, Yes. If anything comes to mind that's like was really special. Uh getting to play with Charlie Daniels. Oh. That was um you know, he does this volunteer jam every year 
And he's grown this thing to, I mean, it was a sold out. It was the 40th anniversary. So that tells you how long he's been doing this. And he sold out the Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville. And he called and asked if I wanted to come play Devil Went Down to Georgia with him. And I was like, hold on, time out. Like, (laughs) the fiddle icon of the world asked me if I could play the most iconic fiddle song with him. So, of course, I mean, I'm, you know, getting chills talking about it. It's like we got to, they had a, a festival outside before the concert started, and we got to headline that stage. Like, we played outside before the concert started, and then I went in to play devil with him, but he and I hadn't talked other than me saying, yes, I'll do this. So I get backstage and, you know, I, I get to, to speak with him for a minute and he is just the quintessential Southern gentleman. I mean, he couldn't be kinder. He is everything you'd hope he would be. And I, I already knew that part. I'd met him a few times before, but I walked up to him and I was like, all right, well, Mr. Daniels, how do you want to do this? And because we hadn't talked a game plan at all. He's like, I want you to play Devil Went Down to Georgia. And I was like, <laughs> okay, but like, like, do you want me to play with you? Or he was like, you just play it and I'll follow you. <laughs> I was like, oh, whoa, hold on. Did anybody hear that? Charlie Daniels just said he'd follow me on Devil Went Down to Georgia. And so we basically just both played the song and some of the times he just let me take it and sometimes he you know it's like he was playing but how beautiful that whole experience I mean I was I remember standing backstage and I was just already just filled with so much joy and euphoria and was just thinking just don't let it pass you by yeah enjoy every single second and I do feel like I was able to do that I mean it's a quick song and we play it fast too so (laughs) clearly you did since you can have the chills just even remembering it yeah. that means you were really there for it yeah. you know that's it really so cool. was such an incredible moment and that's amazing i mean that is that's one of the most iconic songs of all time you know and god that that, that was one of the so coolest cool. moments that's awesome yeah and i'm wondering if you wouldn't mind i just remembered we were talking about the ryman because i'm here in nashville because yes. uh, my friends um in lord huron are playing there two nights in a row and i haven't been there before so Ugh. i'm so excited to go and I wondered if you could tell, would you be willing to tell your story about your grandma? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I didn't even know this until, you know, towards the end of her life. But so my grandmother was born in 1910 and she, uh, she passed a couple years ago, but she was 105. And um, when she was a little girl, so she, you know, at the time in the, do you say the teens? <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. When she was a little girl. Um, her mom ended up being a single mother and couldn't afford to take care of her and her sister. And her brother was old enough that he could get a job and kind of do his own thing. But her mom put her and her sister in an orphanage. And that was a common thing back then. I didn't really know that, but it was, it was run by one of the churches and kids would go there and then the parents could come visit them on the weekends, but they would stay there and they would have jobs and take care of, you know, cleaning and some of the smaller kids, but they would go to church on Sundays at the Ryman Auditorium. And she used to talk about sitting in the front row and listening to the pastor and swinging her legs on that church pew in the front row. And so, I mean, I've I've had the honor of playing the Ryman quite a few times now. I've gotten to play the Grand Ole Opry, which it's also crazy because she would talk about when her mom remarried and her stepdad um brought her her first radio to the orphanage and she would tune in 
every Saturday to listen to the Grand Ole Opry. And then I got to play the Opry in the Ryman. They don't, you know, they have the Opry House, but they go back and do it a few times a year at the Ryman. And I've gotten to do that a few times. And getting to stand on that stage, and I've gotten to tell that story at the Ryman that my grandmother yeah. would sit right here in this front row and swing so her legs sweet. on Sunday service. It makes it a whole, it's, it has so much more meaning to yeah. you, you know, besides yeah. history, of course. <laughs> it is pretty amazing. That's and awesome. I've had some of my most incredible music experiences also at the Ryman. I mean, playing with Bobby Bones and the Raging Idiots, he does this million-dollar show every year. And, you know, one year he had Garth Brooks come out he was Garth was presenting the check, so it's a, a, a celebration of the... They always raise over a million dollars for St. Jude's, the radio yeah. show does. And so Garth was coming out to present the check to St. Jude's, and Bobby, when Garth got out on stage, he was like, so, you want to sing a song with us? And he knew if he waited and just did that that Garth couldn't say no. <laughs> and then yeah. we're the band, we're all looking at each other going, oh my gosh, are we about to get to play with Garth Brooks? And... He was like, sure. And so we played Friends in Low Places. And thank goodness I knew. I've played that song so many times over the years in bands and stuff. And I knew every note of the fiddle solo. And when I got done with the fiddle solo, he came over and just gave me a little fist bump. Oh, that's like, great. Oh, this is one of my musical heroes. Oh. I used to obsess over Garth Brooks. And oh, that's so fun. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it is a spiritual venue. And almost everybody that comes through town that gets to play it, talks about that oh, even the yeah. artists that yeah you know maybe didn't know the history until they got here yeah. i mean it, it's they such really a cool place it. to see music yeah. yeah oh so cool i can't wait yeah. um to go, i won't be on stage but i'll be uh, watching so i'm excited yeah. for that yeah um so i want to ask you sort of two more things that i ask everybody okay so one is you mentioned before going through sort of a, a hard time you mm-hmm. know in your life and yeah when you are going through a hard time or even just a bad day when you're yeah. not feeling off, like what do you, what's in your personal toolkit to help you get through it? Mm, um, thinking of the things that I am grateful for. Yeah. It's that perspective shift that is not always the easiest when you're not in a good spot. Um, but there's always something to be thankful for, even if it's, you know, the cup of coffee or yeah the sweet little birdies turping that we can hear right now, hope, you know. I hope that, that that's the recording. I bet. It. It's so lovely. I bet they can because they're always, they're so loud. They're, yeah, so, they're cute. so cute. Um, but, you know, I've, I've started using my um, gratitude more often in my daily routine of just writing down yeah. a few things that I'm thankful for. And, and the, the thing to, for me to remember is sometimes it's, it's even being thankful for things that maybe somebody thinks is superficial, but I can be thankful for this cute new shirt that makes me feel good today. Totally. You know, it's not, it, it's not because it's a new shirt. It's, I, I can be thankful for my old t-shirt that's got four holes in it that I can still wear and wash and be, you know, it's yeah. like, but something that just makes you feel good. Yeah. Brings yeah. a smile to your face yeah. because there's always something to be thankful for. I think that's such a good point. I think when I, I go through phases of having a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm just generally more at peace and happy when I'm, write, I'm writing in it. Yeah. You know, and I think it's because writing about your gratitudes, yes. something about the act of it, it actually amplifies them. Yes. And it can be, like you said, as simple as just like when I'm walking down the street and I notice um, the look on a dog's face. Yeah. Or the way that the light shimmers on a leaf. You know, yeah. it can be so simple. Yeah. It can be so simple. Yeah. 
But 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 when you really pause to reflect on it, it's yeah. like when it makes it bigger than what it, it actually is. Yeah. You know. Even as we're talking about this, it's like all of a sudden, like the breeze is coming in, and I'm yeah. smelling some sort of flowery, beautiful spring smell, and it's like, oh yay, yeah, happy, exactly. happy. Exactly. But that's what it does. Is yes. that if you can remember to be thankful, even when you don't feel like there's anything to be thankful yeah. for, find something, something that makes you happy. Is. Your favorite song. Your favorite anything favorite color and find something that is that color and go yay there it is there's my favorite color whatever it is it can pull you out of it and then it just reminds you of all the other things yes because if you if you think about the negative things then you're just going to continue to see all the negativity because energy breeds energy yes so it's just wherever you're putting your attention to it's going to grow that yeah and it's why it's it's you know, meditation is called a practice. Yeah. And and I've gotten, you know, much um, more disciplined in meditating and spending that time daily. And it's amazing the difference that I feel, totally. you know. And sometimes I only have time to just scribble a couple of, you know, grateful yeah. pieces down. Yeah. Sometimes I have time to truly sit there yeah. for 30 minutes and my little half lotus pose that I can do on one side and not the other. <laughs> but you know, it happens like, that way, right? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It yeah, does. Yeah. But it, you know, and it, it is, it's just spending time in prayer and whatever you want to call it. Sure. Whatever prayer looks like to you. Yeah. yeah. Searching inward and being thankful for the light yeah. that's inside of all of us. And we can, we can share that if we can find it within ourselves. Absolutely. But it's all about us. We got to find it. Yes. You know, yes. it's there. Before you can give it. Right? Yeah. You know, and Absolutely. yeah, I think, I wonder too, if you find this, cause I imagine you would, because you seem to be this kind of person that likes to do a lot for others. And I have found when I'm going through it, like whether it's just like I'm in a grumpy mood, if I, or I'm like really, really down, mm-hmm. like, you know, like if I turn my attention away from myself almost and actually try to help somebody else, yes. whether it's something small or big, yeah. like that'll pull me out of it too. Yeah. I wonder if that, have you yeah. found that too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is something that if you can do something, I've done that a few times ex- very intentionally um, <clears throat> right. when I've realized that I'm kind of, you know, getting a little indulgent in my own. Right, right. And it can be as simple as thinking of someone and sending them a nice text. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you don't have to go, I mean, it's, it's great if you do go to the soup kitchen every day or go to the humane society every day, but it doesn't even have to be that, that big of a a type of service. It can be just being there for a friend. Absolutely. You know, well, it's funny too. Like I was the other day, um, I was having a bad day. I just was not in a good mood. Mm-hmm. Like all these little things, one thing after the other, and I had a health scare that day. It was a lot of things happening. Yeah, yeah. And I, um, I was just like, I kind of wanted the day to just be over, you know? Yeah. And I was going, I was like, I'm going to get myself like my favorite chocolate, you know, expensive there you chocolate. Go, there you go. That almost helps. And the guy at the counter, um, it's like he knew I was having a bad day. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know why he yeah. would know, but, um, but he like, clearly was doing something like where he was putting, pushing in some discount bun- buttons or whatever. Like he just like gave me the chocolate for like 25 cents or something like that. When it was like a really expensive bar of chocolate. I know. It makes me so happy. I know. And I was like, I remember looking at him. I was like, my jaw just like, was like, but why? You know? Cause it wasn't like we had been chatting for a while. And isn't and... it amazing how simple exactly. of a gesture that was. Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, just cause, and it just made me beam. And it made my whole day, even though it was like only a couple of hours left of the day, made it much better. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just like the silly little things that you, and I, I just, 
sounds so sappy, but like, I just wish all of us would carry that with us knowing that the simplest thing can make someone's day so much better and turn it around. So like whatever, like everything you do has a consequence, you know, whether you walk into a room with a certain energy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, I mean, just it's circling back to what you said, but darkness breeds darkness and light breeds light. You know, right, and right. the intention that you set there is it makes all the difference. Yeah. Um, but that's the tricky part is that darkness breeds darkness. Yeah. And if you look for the negativity or yeah. you keep talking about the things that are going wrong or whatever, and it's hard. It's hard not to complain about your health issues sure. and the crap that's happening around you. I mean, like, you know, whatever it is where the car's breaking down or bills or whatever it's it's hard not to talk yeah. about it you have to be very cautious about it to yes like actually sit there and think like as an, like, i mean it's so easy for example to like say you miss your train and it's like 20 minutes to the next i don't know it's like a silly little thing but and no, you, it you're is. already late right and it's like it's so easy to be like okay i'm just gonna get annoyed right now yeah. but you can also pause and stop there and say i've just been given 20 minutes to do whatever it is like listen to a podcast or yeah. listen to you you know, an album that you've been wanting to listen yeah. to, or to call yeah. your friend, or whatever. You know what I mean? And it's and that's a good point too. It's like I've I've started doing things like you know sometimes it's a podcast, sometimes it's the <laughs> lately Maggie Rogers album. Yes, but <laughs> I will if I'm not feeling great or whatever. It's not only when I'm feeling good that I want to do those things. Sometimes I need to do something that brings me some happiness. Right. You know, right. like to jolt it. Go on a walk or whatever, and we don't always have time for all those things, but you can listen to a snippet of your favorite song, and I swear it will make you feel better. Definitely. Or just start laughing, and it force yourself to laugh, and it will be, you'll feel like the most complete idiot in the entire world, but I guarantee (laughs) you it will make you start actually laughing. That's a good tip there. I like that one. I haven't heard that one before. It's a good one. Um, okay, so finally, I want to ask you some of your favorite things. So, just fun for people to hear. Like, what's Natalie into, you know? No. So, um, so how about, and it can be, it doesn't have to be, like, your one and only favorite thing. Just something that has meaning to you. So, I'm going to ask you first, okay. like, what's your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Um, <laughs> the Outlander series, currently. Okay, I'm cool. really into Outlander, yeah, yeah. so that has been another, um, which I have, I've read none of them. I've listened to all the audiobooks. Uh-huh. <laughs> they became my obsession for a little while. So if I'm going to go with like what has currently been on the docket, it's been all of the Outlander books. Okay. And how about <laughs> a favorite song? Um, hmm. That changes with me constantly. Yeah. Um, and, oh. I'm, I'm such a dork. Right now, it's Joshua Tree, which is one of Ruthie's new songs that she hasn't released yet. Aww. That is one of my favorite songs. That's great. And what's, what, how about a favorite song to sing? Oh, a favorite song to sing. I mean, you know, last night, because it was the night before Easter, I opened my show with Amazing Grace, and it was just everything I needed from mm. my heart, mm. you know, and that's the thing is that that can change from night to night. What song is my favorite? Some of it is what's inspired in the moment, but, um, yeah, sure. you know, I, I just, I felt very connected to the audience and the moment and a lot of joy and light last night when I sang and played Amazing Grace. Beautiful. I wish I was there for it. 
Um, let's see, how about a favorite place? Oh, um, there's this little island in Mexico called Isla Mujeres, and it is a magical healing island of pure joy mm. and sunshine. So we get to go, go when you like, need a little reset. We get to, fortunately, we get to go there for work um, every February. This was our fifth year in a row to go for a songwriters festival, and we raise money for the the special needs school on the island because in Mexico the government doesn't have funding for special education. So if a child has special ed needs, they don't they can't go to school. Mm-hmm. So it needs to have separate funding, yeah. and so the the festival provides um, the majority of the funding for the school on the island for That's the kids, so which is pretty incredible. Wow. And so even for that reason alone, but it's just this beautiful place that we've had the joy of getting to spend time. And this was the first year we actually got to spend a couple of extra days. Um, and it, it says a lot that I'm saying that that's my favorite place because we got really sick on the way home oh. <laughs> this year. Oh, man. <laughs> like down for a week when we oh. got home. But everything it, up until that. Everything up until that moment. No, but, but that was yeah. also just one of the, I mean, we've been there for five years in a row and nothing's ever happened. So yeah. it, it's just, just, there's something just magical about that little place. Mm. And I just adore being there. That's great. Yeah. Okay. And lastly, how about a favorite memory? Wow. Oh man. And it could be a totally simple thing. Okay. The fa- well, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, when I was 10 years old, um, I auditioned for the Opryland Kids Club show, and I had actually auditioned for Opryland the year before, and they didn't have any positions for children, but they were having open auditions, so I just went and auditioned and, like, you know, whatever, but... I auditioned, I went back when they actually had auditions for kids. Oh, so when you went, it was just... It was just like, for adults. And like, you just, I'm I just, gonna go. I, I would take that. literally any audition experience. Because it was, that. you know, That's it was great. always told to me that you needed to audition as much as possible. Because that was also a gift to have, a good skill to have to be good at auditioning. So then I went back and I auditioned for the show and it was great. And I, you know, I played my fiddle for them and they were like, That's really cute, honey, but you have to sing for this, this job and so I sang happy birthday and got a call back and then ended up getting the job but the way that I found out that I got the job so I was also in gymnastics at the time and there was that like little kid part of me at 10 years old that thought well I think I was nine when I technically started when I got the job so I always thought I was going to be an Olympic gymnast and so, so did I by the way I didn't know that about you oh really that's I amazing totally so gymnast, I had yeah. just made the team <laughs> And I was at the very first team practice, and I had done a couple of the, like, level six, like, little, like, practice competitions, but we were starting to actually get ready for competition. Had my first entire practice. I was so excited. It was, like, just the biggest deal. And my mom comes into the gym, and she walks in, and she goes, you got the job. And I, I knew what she meant. Like, yeah. I got the Opryland gig. Yeah. And I screamed, and I started running around the gym. And I remember I did, I went to the floor, <laughs> and I did a round off and 13 backhand Woo, springs. that's a lot. Like, I did 13 <laughs> in a row, and then I was just like, Woo, and I was freaking out. That's great. And then I got in the car, and she goes, you know what this means, though. You're going to have to choose. Oh. And I was like, 
no! And, like, I, I started crying, but I also immediately was like, well, there's no choice. I mean, obviously, I know what I'm going to do, but it was, I just went ahead and started mourning that I'm not going to yeah, be a gymnast. Right. Like, that's not actually a real dream of mine. It, it was. was then, it was but... as real as it could be when I was that age. Yeah. But, you know, immediately, that's when the direction of my life changed. Yeah. And I, I, there was no question. Like, I knew what it meant to get yep. that job. I knew how many children auditioned for that show. It was such a big deal. And yeah. I'm so thankful that there wasn't even a hesitation on right. my part. But I still did mourn the loss of like, oh, man, I really like Like gymnastics. doing that, too. Like, oh, it's I funny. I, I had a, uh, I, I mourned that loss, but not until it was like, because I was in like the varsity team in, in high school. And not that I, at the point, I wasn't like planning on being in the Olympics, but I thought it was going to be sure. a part of my life in a yeah, big way. Yeah, of course. Then I got to Berkeley, and there was no gymnastics at Berkeley. Uh, no. <laughs> So there was there was no sports of any kind at all. I've not, I don't think I hear that they gym. have. I hear no, no. They have one now. Oh, though. they have one now. Oh yeah, and they also have study abroad now. Oh, you know, yeah, they have a that whole, nice. Yeah, I know, I know. We were we were back when it was <laughs> <laughs> because my Berkeley experience oh, my wasn't epic enough. I but, know, right? You know, <laughs> I did yeah. not need any more distractions like <laughs> gyms or study abroads because exactly. I definitely would have taken a bit. Well. But you know what? I will say I'm glad that they didn't have a gym because I enjoyed going to the YMCA. One year I did the Gold's Gym thing, and then the rest of the years I was closer to the Y, so I would walk to the Y. Yes, yes. I think you got a little bit of an education being in the YMCA. Totally, totally. (laughs) I know. Well, you know, it was, I actually, I'm oddly grateful for the fact that we had, I don't know, Berkeley was so different then when we were there, and it was just. It was very pure. It, it was very, like, just about the music. It was. And, the, and I'm sure that the people that were there before us think that we had it so good. Because, I mean, they had just right. renovated the Mass Ave dorms. Right, right, And that's right. where I lived the first totally. couple of years. Me and that, that was the first year of those dorms being redone. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it, I mean, that was, you know, it's like Opryland is such a, a special and magical chapter of my life. Berkeley yes. was such a magical chapter of my life and it's totally. it's so it's so cool and that's one of the comforting things looking back on things that anytime something ends and I kind of feel like you know this whole time of being with you know I I built up to the point of having Natalie Stovall in the drive and then as as the drive is kind of no more yeah that's it's it is something to to mourn and to yeah. be sad about, but it's also something to be so thankful about. And it's always with you. That's yeah. the cool thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's like another chapter yeah. that I'm getting to put a close yeah. on, and then that that opens me up for so much yes. more. And it's and always I'm, part of the fabric of your story. Absolutely, I'm, I wouldn't be me yeah. without yeah. that. And I'm I'm so thankful that I'm in the place now where I am you know, seeing that and genuinely feeling that, not just knowing that intellectually, but yes. genuinely yes. feeling that in my yes. heart and going, yes. okay, now I'm ready. It's time yeah. for this new phase. Yeah, and I totally. can't wait to share it with everybody. So and I can't wait to see what you do A next. little more time <laughs> of honing in on it and working on it, yes. but I'm, I'm on to some really amazing discoveries creatively. And that's been really ah, invigorating. So, so exciting. Yeah. Natalie, thank you so much no, for doing this. I feel like no. you were one of the very first artists that I texted when I decided I was going to do a podcast. Oh, my gosh. I was like, Natalie, you got to do my so podcast. so sweet. And you were like, yes. That's so <laughs> So awesome. we finally got to do it. I know. I'm so glad we finally got yes. to make it happen. Oh, all right. Well, thanks again. Absolutely. Musings with Monse. 
Artists and Their Honest Stories is audio produced by the amazing Erin Mooring, and the beautiful theme music you hear is by Heather Maloney.